0: The time has come we must defend our dream, proclaim this as what is best in us. Where would we be without our variant love? In 1914, renowned British novelist E.M. Forster finished a novel called Moritz. It was a love story between two men, and unlike some other Forster novels, it had a happy ending. Happiness is its keynote, Forster wrote of the novel, which, by the way, has had an unexpected result. It has made the book more difficult to publish. If it ended unhappily with a lad dangling from a noose or with a suicide pact, all would be well. For there is no pornography or seduction of minors, but the lovers get away unpunished and consequently recommend crime. 1914, the lovers get away unpunished, happy in their relationship, and consequently recommend crime. And remember, homosexuality was indeed a crime in England when Forster wrote his book, Punishable by Severe Prison Sentences. Forster dedicated his book to a happier year. Theodore Sturgeon, the science fiction author you heard from in the reading, published his story, A World Well Lost, nearly 40 years later in 1953. The story goes that the first editor he sent it to not only rejected it because of its sympathetic portrayal of homosexual relationships, but called every other editor he knew and urged them to reject it. Lucky for us, at least one of them did not listen. Seven years after that, in 1960, Maurice was still not published. E.M. Forster wrote, Since Maurice was written in 1914, there has been a change in the public attitude here, the change from ignorance and terror to familiarity and contempt. I had mistakenly supposed that knowledge would bring understanding. I had mistakenly supposed that knowledge would bring understanding. In that same year, 1960, Theodore Sturgeon published a novel called Venus Plus X, in which he explored and exploded traditional notions of gender. In the postscript, he wrote, You homo saps are funny people. I just read some figures wherein a large group of my fellow citizens were asked if they thought all men were created equal, and 61% said yes. The same people were then asked if Negroes were equal to whites, and with the very next breath, 4% said yes. And this without the sound of a shifting gear. To illustrate further, he says, I once wrote a fairly vivid story about a man being unfaithful to his wife, and no one made any scandalous remarks about me. I then wrote a specific kind of narrative about a woman being unfaithful to her husband, and nobody had anything scandalous to say about my wife. But I wrote an empathetic sort of tale about some homosexuals, and my mailbag filled up with cards drenched with scent and letters written in purple ink with green capitals. Apparently, you cannot be objective about sex especially when it's outside certain parameters. Hence, this disclaimer, friend, keep your troubles to yourself. He says, My aim was to write, A, a decent book, B, about sex. It is impossible to attempt such a thing without touching upon religion, which is impossible to do without touching rather heavily upon some of your toes. If this hurts, I am sorry about the pain. My own toes stand firmly upon two planks in the Bill of Rights. And 57 years after that, on Friday, the 13th of October, 2017, the President of these United States spoke at the Values Voter Summit and specifically vowed to protect what he called judeo-christian values now wait a minute that can't be so bad can it after all we claim as one of our sources jewish and christian teachings which call us to respond to god's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves are those the values he is talking about the values that the crowd at the summit applauded so enthusiastically not so much The Southern Poverty Law Center has published the expressed values of some of the speakers and organizers of the Values Voter Summit in their own words. Peter Spriggs, Senior Fellow for Family Studies at the Family Research Council, hearkening back to the 1914 England of E.M. Forster, has said, I think there would be a place for criminal sanctions against homosexual behavior. Roy Moore, former Alabama Supreme Court justice, has said, Homosexual behavior is crime against nature, an inherent evil, and an act so heinous that it defies one's ability to describe it. Jerry Boykin, Jr., executive vice president of the Family Research Council, threatened physical violence against people who don't use the bathroom of the gender they were assigned at birth. Gary Bauer, founder of American Values and the Campaign for Working Families PAC, has cited junk science to support his claim that, quote, homosexual conduct is three times more deadly than smoking. American Family Association Director of Issues Analysis, Brian Fisher, said the homosexual agenda represents a clear and present danger to virtually every fundamental right given to us by our Creator and enshrined for us in our Constitution. And Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council, bemoaned the dangers of telling LGBTQ youth that it gets better saying that the videos, quote, are aimed at persuading kids that although they'll face struggles and perhaps bullying for coming out as homosexual or transgendered or some other perversion, life will get better. It's disgusting, he says. And it's part of a concerted effort to persuade kids that homosexuality is okay and actually to recruit them into that lifestyle. He says, every special right or concession we make to the homosexual community, Christians pay for in freedom. Those are just some of the values touted at the Values Voter Summit. This is where the president of these United States chose to speak. The same person who, let's remember, in accepting his nomination as presidential candidate at the Republican convention on July 21, 2016, in the wake of the Orlando nightclub shooting, said, As your president, I will do everything in my power to protect our LGBT citizens from the violence and oppression of a hateful foreign ideology. Apparently, that protection does not extend to hateful domestic ideologies. But hey, it's just different values from ours, right? People are entitled to their values. But what values exactly? What is being valued? How are we to understand the protection of Judeo-Christian values in this context? What can we understand about the organizer's professed intention to champion traditional values? And how does the expression of such values take shape in the lives of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, gender-variant individuals? What are the real consequences of such values? Let's be clear that the only way we move beyond bigotry, oppression, and discrimination is to let go of some traditional values, to question, reform, transform, or discard values that support injustice, Inequality, and intolerance. It is impossible to attempt such a thing without touching upon religion, which is impossible to do without touching rather heavily upon some toes. There is nothing inherently good about traditional. Values. There is nothing inherently good about the way things were. We should never be swayed by any misty-eyed longing for a good and wholesome past that is purportedly being threatened by a legitimate call for human rights. I'm reminded of a line from Forster's novel as two characters discuss the dire consequences of being arrested as a homosexual. England, says one of the men, England has always been disinclined to accept human nature. And that's not just England, of course. The United States of America, we could say, seems disinclined still to accept human nature. And though things have improved, stories chronicling the attacks on LGBT individuals continue. Last year, a teacher at San Luis Obispo High School wrote a letter to the student paper in response to a special issue on LGBT students, stating, quoting from the Bible, that God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. The Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network surveyed more than 10,000 middle and high school students last year and found that nearly 8 in 10 lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students had experienced harassment at school and nearly two-thirds felt unsafe because of their sexual orientation. Celebrities and public figures in many different areas have come out to share their own stories of desperation and attempted suicide as they struggled with the intense societal stigma and personal isolation of their sexual orientation growing up. (coughs) And all the stories we hear... (coughs) are only those that rise to the surface regarding individuals that are incessantly and systematically belittled and taunted and terrorized and told in a thousand different ways in this enlightened society that their best bet is not to tell who they are, not to accept it in themselves, to regard it only as a sin to be forgiven or a sickness to be healed or a secret to be held in the pit of one's stomach in the depths of one's despair, to embrace it if they must but recognize it only as a pale and distorted imitation of real life and to refrain at all costs from affirming it in others or from trying to convince people that it is right or whole or holy simply by virtue of being human and being real, and being who it is you are. Or as Theodore Sturgeon described it, there are words one may not use for fear of their feigned laughter, colors one may not wear, gestures and intonations one must forgo on a pain of being torn to pieces. The rules are complex and absolute, And in such a place, one's heart may not sing, lest through its warm, free joyousness it betrays one. And what, pray tell, is the value in that? How many more tragic stories do you know? How many more could we tell? And how many more can there be when and where? Do we as a country, as a world community, stop creating these stories? When do we stop in the name of love? When do we position ourselves proudly, faithfully, unapologetically on the side of love? Because somebody... Your father or mine, your mother or mine, your sister or brother or teacher or minister or neighbor or friend, yours or mine. Somebody should have told us that not many people have ever died of love, but multitudes have perished and are perishing every hour for the lack of it. Because it's about love. Being in love, yes, it's about that. It's about finding who we're attracted to and flirting and fumbling and falling in love. It's about being in love and committing to love another person and building a life together with all the false starts and frustrations and pain and all the celebrations and triumphs and joys. And it's about watching and weathering all the seasons of love. It's about who we find and how we find love and loving relationships. But it's also about a love that precedes all of that. It is about a love that makes all the other love possible. It is about the love and acceptance of oneself as reflected back to us from the love and acceptance of others. It is about being taught, being encouraged, being affirmed in loving ourselves, loving who we are. It is about namaste. The divine in me blesses and honors the divine in you. And I know. I am preaching to the choir here. My intention is not to convince you of something you don't already know or to lead you to believe something that you don't already believe but we can find ourselves living in a bubble of like-minded people and begin to underestimate the power of the acceptance that we offer. My intention is to underline the importance of our clear, explicit, intentional, and compassionate hospitality to people who are rejected, maligned, misunderstood, used, ridiculed, judged, diagnosed, dismissed, and abused in too many areas of our society still. My intention is to reclaim those Jewish and Christian teachings which call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. My intention is to affirm this congregation in its ongoing activities and witness as a welcoming Congregation to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, gender-questioning individuals. The time has come we must defend our dream. Proclaim this as what is best in us. Where would we be without our variant love? The world would shrivel, die. The time has come. Thank you all for coming out this morning.